Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. He's hacker. I'm a sausage guy. Yeah, that butcher shop with the juicy breasts. I like that. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I have always liked Florida State. And now I do realize why people don't like Florida Gator fans. So if you're going to blow it out, just blow it out. But Shad Khan, the owner, didn't see it that way. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as, my goodness, what a week we have had. Doesn't it seem like the Jaguars and the Titans was a couple of weeks ago now? It was four days. This week has been long, man. There has been so much going on from Mike Caldwell and the defensive staff getting fired to Mike Vrabel getting fired in Nashville, Pete Carroll being out in Seattle, Nick Saban last night announcing his retirement at the University of Alabama. Today, of course, Bill Belichick and the Patriots agreeing to part ways And now tonight, we find out Florida State did a no-no in the NIL world. They're in a little bit of trouble. Alex Atkins, suspended for the first three games, cannot recruit off campus. Florida State finds themselves in some hot water. What a five- or six-week period it has been for Florida State. And with the unquestions or the questions surrounding the uncertainty of the future of Mike Norvell in Tallahassee, As rumor has it, he is pretty high on the Alabama Crimson Tide coaching list. So there is just an absolute ton to get into, and we'll get into it all night here on Hacker After Dark. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, my buddy Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. We'll talk to Leon about the 1-5 and collapse down the stretch for the Jaguars. And kind of where we go from here, as all we're done is left to pick up the pieces on what was a once promising 8-3 and three season that turned into the biggest collapse in Jaguar franchise history. So Leon Searcy, less than 15 minutes. Chad Forbes, Jaguar fans, I know you love him. At NFL Draft Bites on Twitter slash X. Always enjoy talking with Chad. Chad's the kind of guy... That if you don't want his honest opinion, don't ask him a question. Because he's not going to sugarcoat a whole lot. And I can assure you, he is not going to sugarcoat the collapse for the Jaguars down the stretch. He's going to give you some brutal honesty. But I personally think it's honesty that's good to hear from an outside Jacksonville opinion. So Chad Forbes coming up later on in the 8 o'clock hour. And making her Hacker After Dark debut... My wife, Heidi, diehard New England Patriot fan, I will tell you she took the Bill Belichick news today extremely hard. So we will have Heidi Green on, H-squared, mother of Little Hack, to come on and give her thoughts, her opinion, her perspective about Bill Belichick and her beloved New England Patriots mutually parting ways 
after 24 years and after six Super Bowl championships. And that's where we begin tonight because every night here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. The greatest to ever do it. Yeah, I think um, that's absolute. Bill Belichick is the greatest to ever do it. Six Lombardis, only 15 wins shy of the all-time coaching win record that is currently held by Don Shula. If Bill Belichick coaches again and he plans on coaching again, he wants to coach again, he will pass Don Shula probably in the next two years or so. He is the best. You know, somebody threw out an idea a few years back. Why not rename the Lombardi Trophy the Belichick? Now, I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs> but you could, right? I mean, Vince Lombardi, it's kind of funny. He won like 96 games in his coaching career. It was a different game back then. Obviously, he is one of the founding fathers of the National Football League. But he didn't win six world championships in 300-plus games. That's what Bill Belichick has done in a salary cap era, in an era of parity in the National Football League. Bill Belichick cut right through that. Yeah, Tom Brady had a little something to do with that as well. But whether it was Brady and then Belichick or Belichick and then Brady, certainly we saw the end of an era today with the news that Bill Belichick and the Patriots were mutually parting ways. You know, I have this moment when news like this happens, but really it hit me twofold, both last night with Nick Saban and I guess you could even say a little bit of Pete Carroll, sprinkled some Pete Carroll on there, but primarily Nick Saban and primarily Bill Belichick. Do you realize how fortunate we have been as sports fans over the last 25 years? Do you ever think back and, and wonder and, and realize, wow, think about the era we have lived in. We have seen the greatest golfer that has ever lived, Tiger Woods. We have, well, and again, arguably the greatest golfer that's ever lived, the most marketable golfer that's ever lived. We have seen a top five NBA player, some will argue the greatest NBA player of all time, in LeBron James. We have seen the three greatest tennis players on the men's side ever in Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, and Rafael Nadal. We have seen the greatest women's tennis player of all time in Serena Williams. We have watched the greatest quarterback that has ever played in Tom Brady. You go to other sports like the National Hockey League. We haven't seen Wayne Gretzky. We've seen some pretty darn good ones in Sidney Crosby, Alexander Ovechkin. And then you go to the coaching ranks, right? We've seen Phil Jackson in the NBA, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban. I mean, icons of sport, both in the coaching profession and in the playing profession. Arguably one of the greatest 25-year periods in sports history. 
They will be talking about the guys that we have seen live with our own eyes. They will be talking about these guys for years and years and decades and decades on down the road, long after we're gone. And you only think about this when you start losing these guys. We'll never see another college coach like Nick Saban, ever, ever. Guy won seven national championships. Did you enjoy it while it lasted? Did you enjoy watching him and and understanding what you were viewing, or did you take him for granted? Have you enjoyed watching LeBron James? Because his career is going to be coming to an end sooner rather than later. Did you enjoy Tom Brady? Or did you take him for granted? What about Tiger Woods? It really puts into perspective... Father time catches up with everybody, and that happens to all of us, whether you're an icon in the sports world or an everyday average Joe like you and I. But I think in moments like this, when Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, two guys that would be on a list of the top 10, probably the top five coaches of any sport that have ever lived, one calls it a career, the other one is leaving after 24 years at the helm of a franchise in New England, you really take stock of how fortunate we have been. How fortunate we as sports fans, sports media have been to see icons like Saban, icons like Belichick. Again, Pete Carroll, no disrespect to him, three guys have a Super Bowl trophy and a national championship. Three football coaches. One of them was Pete Carroll who just stepped aside this week as well. So don't take it for granted, man. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Because you never know when these guys are going to leave our sports world. It happened abruptly with Saban. If Belichick does come back, enjoy his final years wherever he is because you'll never see a more successful coach than Bill Belichick in the National Football League. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Coming up next, let's get into the Jacksonville Jaguars. Biggest collapse in franchise history. What does one of the greatest players in Jaguar history have to say? My buddy Leon Searcy. You get him on primetime. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. It is a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. It's 1010XL and it's 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Well, we thought we'd be previewing a Jaguar playoff game. Obviously, that is not the case. Losing five out of six. The Jaguar season, remarkably, is over. And now we're left to ask the question, what happened? Let me bring in my friend Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on primetime. You also get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how are you, bud? I'm doing – I could be doing better, Hack. (laughs) Yeah, I think we all could. You and I and Dave Campo did the fifth quarter. I think it was kind of a shell shock for all three of us on Sunday – Leon, you've had a couple of days, man. I'll ask you a very simple question. It's a question that I'm asking everybody this week. Two words. What 
happened? Well, heck, it, it was a culmination of uh, uh, a lot of different things, to be quite honest. First of all, let's just say what it is. All right, it was a colossal, it was a colossal collapse organizationally from top to bottom. I mean, everybody's hands is dirty in this in this situation. You know, uh, bulky Doug, the assistants, the players, everybody. I mean, it, it all stinks. Stink, stank, stunk. Uh, you know, anytime you got a team with all the expectations going into the season, uh, you know, insurmountable expe- expectations. Well, I don't even want to say insurmountable. They, they, they were goals that were reachable. I mean, I don't think that the expectations that we have for this team was was too lev- levied where they couldn't they couldn't accomplish them especially what they did last year in the playoffs when toe-to-toe with the titan uh, the titan i call the, the kansas city chief should have won that game had a couple of situations where a, a play goes here a play goes there we should have beat the kansas city chiefs so you go into this season having high expectations of this team based upon what they did last year and um it started off well eight and three number one seed and then for this team to lose five out of six games Offensively, you know, we sputter. Defensively, you know, we collapse towards the end, giving up over 28 points a game in that in that losing stretch that we we had. Uh, play calling, uh, it was just a variation of so many things that to where this team had one of the biggest collapses in Jaguar history. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of angles to this story, and I want to hit a bunch of them with you. Let's begin with what we know has transpired over the last couple of days. Ten coaches fired, including defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. In fact, an overwhelming majority of the defensive staff was let go less than 24 hours, basically, after the game ended on Sunday. Uh, Your takeaway, letting ten coaches go in that quick amount of time. Well, I mean, we we talked about this, you know, in the fifth quarter hack. You know, when when the Jaguars lost the game to the Titans, we said to them, "Some some heads are going to roll." I would I wasn't sure it was going to be that this many heads, but um, you know, uh, essentially these guys were, in my opinion, were scapegoated because Doug had to do something. He he had to find some reason or some some ability to point the finger to why this happened, and uh, quite frankly. Um, I'm not surprised by it. Um, I'm a little surprised that, uh, you know, not as many offensive guys were let go as they were defensively. I mean, because quite frankly, in the first, it's the tale of two seasons. In the first half of the season, uh, our defense kept us in a lot of games. Um, you know, I think in that Kansas City game in particular, I mean, that, that was championship football. Uh, that that defense played against the Kansas City Chiefs. And, you know, offensively, we sputtered, couldn't score any points, had to settle for field goals, put ourselves in a predicament where instead of us punting, we go for it on fourth down. The Kansas City Chiefs go down to score and take all the momentum uh, going into halftime. And then the back end of the of the season, I think our defense just uh, was wore out with the offense inability to score points. You know, they, they spent a lot, mass majority of their time on the field and gave up a lot of points. You know, you give up 28 points, Cincinnati here, 28 points, Cleveland here, 20 more than 28 points against the Ravens, you know, uh, against the Titans. And, um, uh, you know, I understand that some coaching staff had to go, uh, but that's the nature of this business. You know, if you if you sputter down, down the stretch and you're not playing your best ball in December, uh, this is what happens to coaching staffs. 
Leon Searcy here with us. You get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Yeah, you mentioned Tennessee, Leon. Eight games this year for the Tennessee Titans, almost half of their games, they scored one offensive touchdown or fewer. They put four on the board Sunday to eliminate the Jacksonville Jaguars. Andrew Wingard in the postgame locker room, one of the team captains, I thought was pretty telling, and I appreciated you know, his candor and his honesty, basically saying that there was not a lot of assignment football that was being played down the stretch. I mean, when you hear one of your team captains saying that, saying, and I'm I'm interpreting what Wingard was saying, is guys might have been freelancing out there, you know, doing their own thing if assignment football wasn't being played. I think, you know, that that's a clear indication maybe that the defensive side of the ball, the coaching staff had lost them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, listen, um, it, it's, it's, it's disheartening as a former player, as a former Jaguar, uh, that this team would be undisciplined in a game of, of this magnitude that would lead to them uh, making the playoffs. Uh, uh, it is disheartening that, um, I, you know, and I said it a couple of weeks before the, the Jaguars even played the Titans, this, this team played like they didn't want to make the playoffs, in my opinion. The intensity, the breakdown in communication, you can't have this kind of, you can't have these kind of breakdowns in December with so much on, at stake and so much on the line. How how you played in September is not acceptable for how you play in December. And this team was just uh, too many different variables of breakdown in communications and the secondary breakdowns of communications as far as guys being in their gaps, as far as linebackers adjusting. Uh, it, it was just, it was just to be honest with you, it was just disgraceful to see this team uh, play with uh, the lack of discipline, the lack of toughness, mental and physical, uh, in the month of December. And it, it, it was frustrating for me because I, I, I know um, what it means to uh, play in, in the, the in, in the months of December and to hopefully get into January uh, to where you can make a playoff run. It, it was just very uh, unsatisfied, unsatisfying for me as a former Jaguar to see this team um, collapse uh, so fluently uh, when so much was on the line. Leon, where are you and your thoughts with general manager Trent Balky? Well, I mean, listen, I mean, he doesn't get a pass either. Uh, I mean, I, I told you when something like this happens, I mean, everybody's hands are dirty. Um you know, I, of course, you could say, you know, he could have done more. Uh, you know, we, we, we griped and groaned and moaned at the midpoint of the season uh, because, uh, you know, Trayvon Walker wasn't doing his due and we, we felt we needed another pass rusher. But he came along and had an outstanding season. Um, but and we talked about the offensive line. We talked about the offensive line interiorly. Uh, needing some help because they weren't real physical up front. And, you know, he went and got Ezra Cleveland uh, from Minnesota. And, he, you know, he was a welcome addition, but they still got issues interiorly that they want to address in the offseason. Um, but he, when you look at this, his rookie class that he drafted, um, he's only got one shining – he's only got one shining moment. Uh, which is Anton Harrison. Anton Harrison was a gem in the first round. I mean, he was a day one starter all the way through the end. Um, he's only got better. 
you know, week in and week out. I've, I've kept a watchful eye on him and see how he's developed as a player, and he's definitely gotten better. But all his other draft picks have been um, uh, lost in the lost and found, you know. Uh, I believe uh, uh, Brandon Strange, who's a second-round pick, has got more holding calls than he has catches. Yeah, I think you're right about that. <laughs> you know, and Bigsby Tank might Bigsby. have more fumbles than he had first down carries. Exactly, and you know, Tank Bigsby, I mean, should have got the ball third and one or fourth and one. I mean, because he just he proved, you know, a, a couple of series before that that he was, you know, tough enough to get that first down that led to us getting to where we were, and he wasn't utilized properly. Um, Parker Washington, he's been okay. Um, the other guys have been, like I said, in the lost and found. You know, if you were, if you would give this class an overall, overhaul grade, uh, without the welcome addition of Anton Harrison, I mean, this this class would be, a, in my opinion, maybe a C-minus. I think C-minus might be generous. I'll say Antonio Johnson's probably intriguing, but, yeah, but aside from that, yeah, there's not a lot there. Yeah, he, he's he, – I mean, I, I, I haven't – you know, I've only got a sample size of him, but when I've seen him in games, you're talking about, a, you know, a big, long, physical uh, defensive back uh, that, you know, probably should have been utilized a little bit more, maybe wasn't utilized a little bit more because of his lack of, uh, you know, experience. Listen, I always say this, coaching staffs don't play young guys late unless they trust them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is a situation where he might need another offseason, you know, some more time in the playbook. Uh, but he has a size and a length to, to be a good one. A couple of more for former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle, Leon Searcy. Leon, you and Tony Baselli have etched your name and franchise lore as the two best offensive linemen to ever play here. So you are one of the two guys in the city to ask. I thought Cam Robinson was fine. I thought Anton Harrison was fine. Interiorly, they were terrible, right? I mean, they, they were terrible in the interior of the offensive line this year. They, they were. I mean, Anton Harrison and Cam Robinson are the only two guys uh, in my book who are exempt from um, being replaced, to be quite honest with you. Um, Fortner, uh, Fortner is is not the answer. Uh, he, he gets overwhelmed by six three six four three forty three fifty guys uh, interiorly, and he has to understand that uh, he, when, when those when you encounter those mismatches, uh, you you've got to be technically sound and fundamentally sound in order to block them. But he stands straight up and down, and mass majority of the time he gets pushed back. I mean, so he's a liability, and and he's the quickest way to the quarterback, quite frankly, especially if the quarterback's on the center. Uh, uh, Sheriff is uh, a little long in the tooth. Um, you know, he's a quality guy, former Pro Bowl guy, didn't live up to the billing. Uh, I don't think the Jaguars got their ROI, return on investment. So, I mean, he's, he's the type of guy that, that can be replaced, but maybe you bring him back for another year. Hopefully, you yeah, under the tutelage of someone you may draft, uh, he could be replaced uh, in a year or so, or in a year. And then, you know, um, Ezra Cleveland is, uh, you know, he's a free agent. Um, I don't know if I've seen enough from him to warrant a contract, uh, but out of the three, he's probably the best of the three. Walker Little's situation where, uh, in my opinion, he's expendable now. 
you know, he, he, he stays, he stays hurt. And uh, quite frankly, uh, he, he plays too upright to play left tackle because I mean, he essentially, he's the reason why Trevor got hurt. He, his inability to stop the bull rush and play, he plays straight up and down is the reason why Trevor got hurt. So uh, that's another variable that you have to take into consideration. And where do you play him? You're not going to replace the tackles. I, I don't think he's uh, fit enough to play the guard position, so he becomes expendable. I mean, we at the beginning of the season, we, we were talking about this guy replacing Cam. There's no way you get rid of Cam Robinson now. Well, let me you ask you pay. this, and I want to I want to go there, and I want to go quick because I want to ask you about Trevor as we wrap up. Again, Leon Searcy here with us. I've had a couple of people this week tell me because of all the money the Jaguars are going to owe Josh Allen, potentially Ridley, you got to figure out what you're doing with Trevor. Guys are up for extensions. It's a thought that's at least circulating, and it got my interest. Let me ask you. Anton Harrison's on a rookie deal for the next three years at least. Can he play left tackle and you save that money from Cam, move Anton to the left side? He was really good as a right tackle. Could potentially yeah. you move Anton to left and put Walker Little at right? You, you could. Because, I mean, Anton Harrison, I mean, he played left tackle Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, he played left tackle at Oklahoma. They moved him to right tackle because of the situation that they had at left tackle as far as Cam Robertson and Walker Little. So, yes, he can play left tackle, but here's the deal. Can he play left tackle well? <laughs> you know, uh, that's the key. I mean, because um, uh, not a slight on him, but, I mean, he played right tackle, and, and most of the time when you've got a, when you got a blindside uh, protector, I mean, you get their best pass rushes. I mean, I mean, the Bosa's of the world, they play against the right tackle, so you might see them. But the mass majority of the time, the left tackle sees uh, the better of the two as far as pass rushes go. But, yeah, I mean, um, you can't just throw it on the kid. you got to let the kid know in the offseason, hey, you know, I, I need you need to let the kid know right now, hey, listen, there might be an opportunity for you to play left tackle. And, you know, left tackles make more money than right tackles. So if, you, if you're going to do it, do it now. Don't wait till we get in freaking training camp until the kid's got to play left tackle. Mm -hmm. let, let, it, let it be uh, – let it get in his head first and foremost. There, there may be an opportunity for that. But, yeah, you could. You could, but you, you're definitely – the quality of play is – going to be diminished because cam cam's a good left tackle and then you you've got question marks as far as anton harrison if he can play left tackle that'll certainly be one of the things to follow this offseason finally leon about two minutes to go trevor lawrence i'm not even going to ask you about press taylor because i probably know your answer it's what everybody's answer is but he's going to be here so it's just one of those situations where you deal with press taylor coming back and hopefully it works out your concern level or do you have concerns with Trevor Lawrence after this season uh yeah I mean I've got concerns with Trevor um he he, he doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to be ascending uh the way I thought he would be after what I saw last year uh what I saw last year down the stretch was one of the hottest quarterbacks in the playoffs uh, started slow. Don't get me wrong now. That San Diego game, he threw four picks. He started slow. I, I was scared. Uh, but he came back, and he came back roaring. And, and a couple of, if it wasn't for a couple of fumbles here and a missed catch by Christian Kirk there, I mean, this team could have easily been in the AFC Championship game. But over the last three years, Trevor's got 60 turnovers, bro. 
60. I mean, that's 20, that's 20 a year. That's, he, he's got to do a better job of taking care of the football. I mean, that, that, that's the, uh, that's the keynote speech for any offensive coordinators that you got to take care of the football. And he doesn't do, he doesn't do that. And, um, as of late, I mean, he's, he's been, uh, this year, especially he's been injury prone and a lot of it has to do with him. Now, granted, Walker Little had a little bit to do with that, the concussion and all that kind of stuff. Or uh, horrific play calling to put him on a rollout yeah, when they're that, up 14 part, that, with three minutes to go against Indy. That could have something to do with it. That part, that part too. But no, I mean, listen, I, I mean, I, 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 if I'm a general manager, I'm not giving, I'm not giving Trevor $300 million. I'm not getting, I, I got to see another, I got to get another year out of him. Now that may, that may piss him off, but so be it. And a lot of people say, well, if you piss him off and he decides to go west somewhere else, then, you know, we've lost it. Well, I mean, you, you listen, I mean, the Super Bowl's in Vegas. You got you, you, you go to Vegas to gamble. Uh, you you got to take that gamble. I, I'm just not giving him that kind of contract because he hasn't taken us anywhere. Everybody says, oh, he's going to want Joe Burrow more. Well, you know, Joe Burrow took the Cincinnati Bengals to a Super Bowl, and he deserved that money. And if it wasn't for his horrific offensive line, it could have took him to a couple of more. So until I see something more out of Trevor, I'm just not giving him the deal that he's probably going to ask for in the offseason. You get Leon Searcy every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, literally every other NFL team you played for is in the playoffs, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Miami. You excited about the postseason, or is it going to be kind of bittersweet this weekend? Man, the hell with all of them. <laughs> doesn't do anything for you, huh? No, it does nothing for me. I had some Steeler fans uh, hit me up on uh, 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 Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram telling me to come home. I said, I am home, damn it. <laughs> and that's why we love him. Big Leon Searcy every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, let's enjoy Super Wild Card Weekend for what it is. Let's recap it next week, and let's talk a little football. And by then, maybe the Jaguars will have more news. We'll talk to you next week, pal. You got it, bro. There you go. Leon Searcy here with us every week on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting, the fact that Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami, all of Leon's other stops, all are in the NFL playoffs. Leon could care less. You know, there are playoff games that are this weekend. We've barely talked about them. We'll try to do more of that tomorrow. I mean, it is super wild card weekend. Well, you got Houston and Cleveland on Saturday. You got, did you see the Miami-Kansas City situation at Arrowhead? The National Weather Service is telling people that there could be dangerously cold temperatures. Like, they're expecting the wind chill to be in excess of 30 below zero. How about Miami? All they had to do, all Miami had to do was hold on to a two-touchdown lead against the Tennessee Titans on Monday Night Football in South Florida about three weeks ago, and they would be in their warm, cozy confines of Miami, Florida, and instead they're going to have to go to 30 below zero into Arrowhead, I might put my life savings on the Kansas City Chiefs Saturday night. Then you got three games Sunday. I'm probably most intrigued, honestly, by Matt Stafford going back to Detroit. Rams-Lions should be pretty good. And then, of course, Monday night with Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. Unfortunately, the Jaguars are not in the NFL postseason. That is what happens when you lose five 
of your last six games. Chad Forbes, NFL Draft Bites on Twitter slash X. Jaguar fans, I'm very much aware some of you guys have issues with Chad. Some of you like him, some of you don't. That's what makes for a good guest for me because I'll tell you this, Chad doesn't sugarcoat a whole lot. Tells you what he thinks, whether his opinion is one you agree with or not. He has very strong convictions, and trust me, he has a lot to say about the Jaguars losing five of their last six ball games, and he joins me next. Hacker After Dark on a Thursday night in Jacksonville, Florida, right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguar season remarkably is over, losing five out of their last six games. The season comes to an end, probably the biggest collapse in the history of the Jaguar franchise, and the question we're asking all week is what happened? Let me go to one of my guys here on 1010XL, Chad Forbes. You follow him on Twitter, at NFL Draft Bites. Chad is the kind of guy that will not sugarcoat a whole lot, which is why I wanted him on this week. Chad, appreciate the time, my friend. How are you? Hard to fathom the Jaguars aren't hosting a playoff game this Saturday. It, it is unbelievable. And, Chad, I'm going to ask you a simple question, and you can take it from there. In your opinion, what happened? It's their fault collectively. It's not an individual's. They scapegoated the defensive coordinator this week. That unit I thought was pretty good throughout the season. Maybe it faded a little bit down the stretch. But it starts with the general manager and the head coach, and they've got to get on the same page and figure out what happened. And, you know, to me, they were soft on both sides of the ball on the lines. That was a big issue. There were a few players that didn't progress the way you'd like. The quarterback got injured. And uh, all of that just came together at the wrong time. And down the stretch, they just weren't a very effective football team. Chad, there's a lot of avenues to this story I want to get your take on. But first and foremost, they've fired 10 coaches, including defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell, in less than 48 hours after the game ended. And my take yesterday on my show was, well, what happens if Ridley catches that ball in the fourth quarter and the Jaguars go on to win the game? I mean, is this a knee-jerk reaction? Or you would almost think that quick after the season ended, this was going to happen regardless. Right. Doug Peterson really is uh, out for blood. And it's surprising. But you're right. You know, one catch and things can swing a little bit differently. Maybe he wanted to change the staff up. And, you know, when you go to a playoff, it's hard to do that because you're kind of joining the process a little bit later. That could be different in the years now, the new years where they've kind of pushed back the hiring process. But, yeah, you know, a couple couple plays here or there, and they should be playing this weekend. Chad Forbes, you follow him on Twitter at NFL Draft Bites. He's with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. You do believe Mike Caldwell is the scapegoat in all this? Yeah, scapegoat may have been a strong word. You could see why he'd want to move the scheme in a different direction. But the real issue on defense, I thought, was the personnel, lack of depth of the edge rush. Their secondary just never came together all season. And there are certain guys that you can point fingers at, but I don't know if Mike Caldwell's atop that list. Well, I thought Andrew Wingard, I'm not sure if you saw this in the postgame locker room on Sunday, one of the captains on this football team said, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially guys were not playing assignment football down the stretch. Now, I interpret that as he's saying guys were freelancing, doing their own thing. Maybe the players had stopped listening to the defensive coaches. 
Devin Lloyd likes to do a little bit of freelancing, that's for sure. The uh, the other linebacker there, he'll freelance from time to time, but linebackers across the league do that. I'm not sure that's a necessarily a bad attitude issue, more guys trying to make plays. And one of the main issues, like if we want to get to the nuts of it, they had two edge rushers, right? Those guys played almost 900 snaps or young players in the league. All of the guys that were behind them, every time you had Chase out on the field or Dewan Smoot, opposing offenses were saying, thank you very much, right? So the lack of depth on the edge was a huge issue, and that goes to the general manager. I mean, this guy spent the last two drafts, you know, picking up linebackers in the third round rather than finding some extra edge rushers. So that's the guy that I'd point a finger at. But I'll tell you one positive here, if I can find one for you. Trayvon Walker looks like the light went on. Yeah, I agree. Trayvon Walker finishing with 10 sacks. Looked very good down the stretch. Chad, you mentioned Trent Baalke, and let's get to him next. The, the, I've defended Trent Baalke, honestly, up until now. My one thing that I cannot defend him for, what's well, really two, out at training camp and really the entire offseason leading into 2023, I sat here every night saying they don't have anybody behind Walker and Allen. they got to go get somebody. And we see Leonard Floyd sign in Buffalo, and you see – Kyle Van Oy and Clowney sign in Baltimore. And every time we're at a press conference asking Doug Peterson, oh, we believe in our young guys. We think the young guys are going to develop. If I knew that, a guy that gets paid to talk into a microphone every night, how does a million-dollar general manager not know that they had nothing behind Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker? Right, and Arden Key walked, and he is pretty effective for them last year. And there were other guys out there that weren't going to cost big money, whether it's like a Cleveland Farrell or even going up to the deadline. I, I was just waiting for to hear that the Jaguars had acquired Daniel Hunter, even if it was just a rental because they had the extra picks. And, you know, that's what happens. You have young guys that are playing 900 snaps and, you know, Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker, they fade a little bit down the stretch. And, you know, Allen went through that streak over three or four games where he didn't have a sack. And, uh, yeah, I mean, depth is critical, especially on the edge. And, you know, they like to operate. Like, look at Philadelphia where Doug came from. So that's clearly something you can you can complain about with General Manager. You know, the other thing that's hard to defend Trent Baalke on is last year they went ten and nine, right? They were not fifteen and two. They went ten and nine. Nine and eight in the regular season, obviously one and one in the playoffs, losing to KC. And it's as if Trent Baalke said, We're good. Let's run it back. They did right. nothing in free agency last year. Absolutely nothing to help this team. Ridley was obviously a trade deadline acquisition. Uh, and, and in hindsight, that looks like a gigantic mistake. Right, but they did make moves. And the year prior, they brought in all those big guys on the free agent contracts. The next year, they were retaining Roy Roberts and Harris, you know, restructured his deal. They kept the safety, who was I thought was really overpaid, right? But they were, you know, maybe it's not signing guys from outside the organization, but they're preparing for this day when they had to pay Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, and other guys. So, you can't spend huge, you know, twice an offseason back to back, and after that, Kirk, Scherf, you know, all those guys, it was just not natural for them to spend again. You get Chad Forbes on Twitter at NFL Draft Bites. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Chad, where are you with offensive coordinator Press Taylor? Offensively, they've got some issues schematically. I don't think for some reason Ridley ever fit in there. Okay, but here's the thing: they've got to do. The experiment with Luke Fortner at center is over. Okay, get a guy in there that can play the center, please. Left guard, if you want to bring back Ezra Cleveland, that's okay. I think he could do better there. The two tackles, Anton Harrison will be a player one day. 
but they are soft on that offensive line, right? They have no balance offensively. And it's hard to judge an offensive coordinator when he's kind of playing left-handed and all he's got is the quarterback throwing the ball down the field. Yeah, I think the criticism of Press Taylor has been deafening here in Jacksonville. They're they're criticizing everything. Press Taylor is getting most of the wrath of it. I agree when the offensive line is awful, and they were awful, it kind of hamstrings you, the injuries as well. That brings me to Trevor Lawrence, Chad. I mean, there are questions about him, correct, after year three. Right, and it's time to pay him. So a big decision for the Jaguars. And the way these things go, but in a couple months from now, they'll come to the realization that, all right, we've got to pay him because what's the alternative? And they've got to hope and believe in his character enough that he works hard enough to get back to the player that he can be. You know, there's a lot of questions going into this offseason, Trevor Lawrence being the big one. And the money issue aside, I mean, that's the business part of football. And people were saying, well, you got him for three years, right? You got him for year four and the team option and the franchise tag. Well, that's not how it works. Herbert got paid after year three. Burrow got paid after year three. You got to pay these guys after year three, right? The precedents have been set. Right, that's the way it works. And, you know, this year he was a little bit hurt, right? If you don't pay a guy and he gets, you know, hurt a little bit, he's not exactly going to rush back, you know, to try to save your season. He's going to be told by his agent, get 100% healthy. This team hasn't committed to you long term. So you've got to commit to these quarterbacks early. You know, Tua with the Dolphins, that was rare where he was kind of coming off some injury. But, you know, I think even there now they've got to commit to Tua after year four. Final moments, Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter slash X. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, offseason questions, and we'll have you on hopefully closer to free agency, but certainly the two big ones for the Jaguars, Chad, that'll be decided before then. Uh, let's start with Josh Allen. There's no way they can let him out of here, right? He's got to be franchise tagged at a minimum. Franchise tag, absolutely. Normally I say you franchise a guy and maybe you listen to teams want to sign the guy or give us some draft picks to you know, acquire him via trade. With Josh Allen, you don't even pick up the phone. That defense cannot function without him coming off the edge. And Calvin Ridley on offense, he's another one that's going to be interesting. Uh, 76 catches, I believe, is what he ended with. A little over 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns. I'm not sure the type of money he's going to want. You would think it'd be pretty big money for he and his agent. Uh, what's your thought on Calvin Ridley's future? 28 guys in the NFL finished with above 1,000 yards. The Jaguars had two of them in Evan Ingram and Calvin Ridley. He's going to generate some interest out there from teams like the Chiefs or clubs that have gotten frustrated with their inability to develop wide receivers. If the price is right, you bring them back. But I think you got to be ready to say sayonara if he's going to get you know, close to $20 million a year. The interesting thing about that, if they re-sign him, they owe the Falcons a second-round pick. But in looking at the language of that trade – the talk down here is if you could potentially get something done with Josh Allen and then you use the franchise tag on Ridley and don't necessarily sign him before the draft, you just tag him, then it won't cost you a second-round pick. It'll cost you a third-round pick. It would be a shrewd move for Jacksonville. But it's interesting, Chad, that, that it's probably what they're going to try to do. You guys are really digging into the details down there in Duval lately, which I like to see. Well, we have to at this point. We were planning yeah. on the playoffs, and we got nothing now. Yeah, you know, Josh Allen, I don't think he's coming to the table and saying, you know, let's do the Montez Sweat deal, which is, you know, $24 million a year. He's starting to look more like a guy that's going to get in that Bosa neighborhood of $30 million a year. So 
that's going to be a tough and contentious negotiation. I don't see how they get it done without the franchise tag. That Cisco's eligible, Campbell's eligible, a lot of guys going into year four. Do you try to get deals done with them, or is it too early? Yeah, probably too early. The guy that I think is going to end up getting paid is the uh, the middle linebacker. He's got a huge cap number. They'll probably do an extension just to try to bring that down. There's other guys where you know, he's either restructure or extension to try to get creative with the salary cap the way they did with Roy Roberts and Harris last year. But with Cisco and Tyson Campbell, do you really want to bet on guys who have had a little bit of an injury history? And the same story goes with Darius Williams. He had a great season, but do you want to pay a 30-year-old corner? Chad Forbes at NFL Draft Bites. Chad, as we wrap up, boy, in the AFC South, the season's been over for a couple of days, and all the news here in Jacksonville, and then lo and behold, earlier this week, Tennessee with a bombshell and firing Mike Vrabel after six years. Your takeaway on Vrabel being out in Nashville? Well, I reported a week ago that there's a power play, and Mike Vrabel wanted out of Tennessee. He's a smart guy. Looked at that roster and said, "Woo, this is a real tough situation. If I get out now, I don't risk my stock declining anymore." And he quickly jumped to a top a lot of lists around the league whether it's in Atlanta or maybe even a team that doesn't currently have an opening, says that's our guy in New England. Always you could take a year off, and there are going to be some marquee jobs open next year, whether it's the Patriots, the Jets, the Bears. So I think Mike Vrabel made the right decision for Mike Vrabel. And uh, the Titans are going to be in a really tough position going forward, which is hey, great news for you guys down in Duval. It is absolutely a hope. It is uh, a dream here. Uh, I'm going to put it to bed right now with you. Um, Mike Vrabel is not going to be a defensive coordinator in 2024, correct? No, and I think the one thing you hope for now, the next guy you want to see leave town in Tennessee is Derrick Henry. Get him to the NFC, and then you really want to have trouble with the Titans twice a year. Yeah, I agree. People are thinking you you overpay for Vrabel. I, I think he's going to get another head coaching job this year if he doesn't. I do agree with you. I think he probably takes the year off. I think Jacksonville, you do your due diligence, you at least call, but I don't think he's going to want a D.C. job as opposed to maybe taking a year off. No, he's going to make $8 million whether he coaches or not. So I think a lot of fans think from the outside, that, oh, he's going to take a year off. Why does he want to jump right back in there quickly? But, I mean, what could be worse than you know making $8 million and uh, taking 12 months off? Yeah, maybe doing some TV or something. All right, Chad, yeah. leave us with this. Super wild card weekend. What game – and our games intrigue you the most coming up this weekend. Well, I can't wait for that Chiefs-Dolphins game. Unfortunately, it's on Peacock, so <laughs> that, you know, that's bothering me a little bit. But, uh, it's you know, this is always a great weekend of football. I really can't wait to see if this Cleveland magic continues with Joe Flacco. I, all these games have juice. The Stafford, you know, returning to Detroit to take on Goff, which is kind of like a revenge game for Goff where he gets to prove to McVay. You know, he was the guy the whole time. It's it's going to be a great weekend of football. And uh, we've only got a few games left, so we got to enjoy them. You get Chad Forbes on social media, Twitter slash X, at NFL Draft Bites. Chad, appreciate the time. Know you're busy. Let's do it again prior to free agency, and we'll see where things stand in Jacksonville. That sounds great. Duval! Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. 9 o'clock hour has arrived, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. We're with you till 10 o'clock as we are every night. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, Jared Bailey of the USA Today. Talking NFL playoffs, Jags collapse, and more. He comes up towards the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, 
My better half, my wife, H squared, Heidi Green, making her long-anticipated Hacker After Dark debut. We got up this morning to the Bill Belichick news. She is from Maine. Her family is what I would consider diehard, and I do mean diehard, New England sports fans. Uh, So she took the Belichick news exceptionally hard this morning. So I will let her convey her thoughts to you as uh, my wife. Heidi makes her Hacker After Dark debut coming up in less than 15 minutes. I want to get into the Jaguars in just a moment. How about this for a feel-old moment of the day? Saw this on one of the 24-7 websites out there. Concord de La Salle 2027 athlete Deuce Jones-Drew has a familiar name, but a much different game from his father, Maurice. Yeah, Maurice Jones-Drew's son is now being recruited and is going through the football camps in the state of California out there at De La Salle, I believe, which is where his dad played his high school ball as well. So, uh, yeah, there you go. You want to feel old statement here on January 11th, 2024. You got it as Maurice Jones-Drew's son is entering the recruiting world as a high school football player out there in Concord, California. Denmark and I were talking about this a little earlier, and I think it's only natural when so much has gone on, but doesn't it feel like this week has just dragged, man? I mean, dragged. We are only four days removed from the Jaguars and the Titans in Nashville. That thing seems like it was a couple of weeks ago. Of course, here in Jacksonville, biggest collapse in franchise history. We're still trying to figure out what happened. We know 10 assistant coaches have been let go. We know a coordinator in Mike Caldwell has been let go. By the way, the Jaguars were blocked again. Both Carolina and reportedly Atlanta have blocked their current defensive coordinators from interviewing with the Jaguars. As we talked about last night, if you're a team, you can block a guy under contract from making a lateral move. Obviously, from D coordinator to D coordinator would be a lateral move, so you can block them in that situation. So Jacksonville can't find a guy to interview right now for their D.C. job. One would think Wesley Frazier, Wink Martindale, potentially Ron Rivera would also be in the conversation. That does not appear to be the route Jacksonville has looked at, at least of now, to replace Mike Caldwell. You know, and we've spent so much time... This week, you have the fans, I know, because I've heard from you. Oh, they fired the wrong coordinator. They fired the wrong guy. Yeah, Mike Caldwell didn't do a very good job, but Press Taylor and certainly Trent Balky deserve more of the criticism. And I'll listen to that argument. I don't think any of the three guys did a particularly good job. Look, when you're the Jaguar defense, one thing the offense could say is they had injuries. Christian Kirk didn't play. Zay Jones was in and out of the lineup. 
Trevor Lawrence was obviously banged up. The offensive line was never fully healthy, really, the entire year. Yeah, those are excuses, but that's also reality. The reality for the Jaguar defense is the last couple of games that they were awful against Baker Mayfield in Tampa and Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee. That was the Jaguar defense. There were nobody there was nobody missing. That was the 11 starters that you believed you had in training camp. They were all on the field just getting gutted by the Tennessee Titans. I go back to the stat prior to last Sunday, Tennessee had played 16 football games. In 8 of those 16 games. Let me do my Wolfson High School math on that. That would be half. They scored one offensive touchdown or fewer. And yet they put 28 on you in a must-win situation on Sunday. Awful. Baker Mayfield went through you like nobody's business. Joe Flacco destroyed you. Jake Browning came into your house. What was Browning? It was ridiculous, right? Like 32 of 35, something like that. Just awful. So whether they fired the wrong coordinator or not, Mike Caldwell and that defensive staff certainly had blame. And of course, as we talked about earlier this week, as they are walking out the door, one of them, we don't know which one, I have my ideas as to who it was, but I'm not going to say it. But one of the eight defensive guys reportedly told NFL reporter Josina Anderson that, quote, the solutions are leaving and the problems are staying. Sour grapes, probably, more than likely. But whoever said that obviously believe that's either the offensive guys or Trent Balky that is still the problem here. I know you... The Jaguar fan base believes it's Trent Baalke. I put a poll up on my Twitter slash X page yesterday. 650 plus people voted on that thing. And overwhelmingly, between Trent Baalke and Press Taylor, you believe Trent Baalke was the bigger problem in 2023. As I told you, I think Baalke's done an adequate job in free agency. I would give him a passing grade in free agency. Not passing with, you know, an A-plus, but he passes with Christian Kirk and Aluakin and Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, Roy Robertson-Harris. He passes in free agency. I think he probably has failed in the draft. Uh, His drafts have not been good. They're wasting way too many picks. He's got a couple of nice guys. Trayvon Walker looks like he's going to be a player. Would love to see more of Devin Lloyd. He left a lot to be desired. We talked about Chad Muma and Tank Bigsby and Luke Fortner and Britton Strange. You should be getting a lot more from your second and third round selections. I am critical of Balky, but I'm not where most of you are in saying he needs to be gone. I think you add everything up, free agents, draft, you throw it into a hat, probably a C, maybe a C minus in his three years here. I would give Press Taylor probably the same, C, C minus. Could you fire him? Yeah. Do you need to fire him? I don't know about that. 
tell you this, though. I think everybody's fair game after next season. If they go next year and don't make the playoffs, including Doug Peterson, I think everything's fair game at that point. We'll obviously get more into that as the days and weeks go on. Big news in the sports world today, Bill Belichick, Patriots, mutually parting ways. My wife, amazingly enough, has never been on Hacker After Dark. The woman that actually married me, and obviously the mother, the little hack, Heidi Green, H squared. She was devastated with the news of Belichick this morning. She will share her thoughts with you next. Also, Jared Bailey of the USA Today at the bottom of the hour. Thursday night, Jacksonville, Florida. Glad you're with us. Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Back here on Hacker After Dark, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Obviously, the huge news in the sports world this morning, Bill Belichick, 24 years on the job in New England, six Super Bowl championships, not calling it a career, but he will no longer be the head coach of the New England Patriots. This is an emotional moment for me. So this morning we get up, and my wife, who is a diehard New England sports girl, Boy, she took it rough. I think she knew it was probably coming that Bill Belichick was going to be out. But, man, actually seeing it was not a good morning for H squared. Heidi, I believe this is your Hacker After Dark debut. Now, our son has been on here. I don't think you have yet. Welcome to Hacker After Dark, sweetie. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I wish it was for something a little bit more happy than this. It's been a sad day for me today. You are a New England sports girl. You're a diehard Patriots fan. You and I went to the AFC Championship game that you celebrated, and I was uh, deflated, certainly, a couple of years ago there in Foxborough. Your reaction to Bill Belichick no longer being the head coach of the New England Patriots? Yeah, so as I mentioned, for me, it's personal. It's sad. I grew up watching the Patriots not be very good at playing football for a long time, and we got a new coach. We got Bill Belichick. Um, he had an okay-ish season, I guess better than some of the, the previous ones before that. In 2000 um, and 2001, we know Bledsoe went down with an injury the second week, and in comes this guy named Tom Brady, and we're like, oh, crap, who is this dude? Like, th things couldn't be going any worse for us right now um, at the start of the season, but Brady changed everyone's lives in New England. It was him and Belichick. So those that know me outside of the radio world know that I'm very passionate about Boston sports, about my family, about my friends. I met some of my best friends because of the Patriots and because of New England sports. We would watch all of the games together every Sunday and make a day out of it. We would watch the Bruins and the Patriots. So it's kind of an end of an era sort of for me because now they've all moved back to New England within the last year, except for me, and we have group chats. But I don't know, will the group chats still continue without Bill Belichick? I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, our first date was at a sports bar. Our second date was an NFL preseason game we were watching at a sports bar. So you are a diehard New England sports fan, Red Sox, Bruins, certainly the Patriots. You mentioned growing up. What was it like growing up knowing nothing but success? As a Jaguar, an Orlando Magic supporter, I know nothing but failure. You won championships year after year after year. 
I mean, what was that like growing up following Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, arguably the greatest quarterback and the greatest head coach in the NFL that we've ever seen? So I was already hitting my teenage years by the time we got Brady and Belichick together. But prior to that, the Patriots weren't very good. Growing up in New England, you basically have sports, your family, music, and for some people, religion. That's what your whole life is around outside of school if you're in school. Um, so my family and I, we watched every Boston sports game. I come from a sports family. My great grandfather was the scorekeeper for the Boston Celtics. He worked for multiple newspapers and news stations in Boston. He was a writer. So we have a long family history of Boston sports. And you say that I'm used to winning championships. Well, don't forget, the curse wasn't reversed for the Sox until 2004. And we didn't start winning championships with Bill and Brady until later. Um, so it was fun during the winning times in New England. I'm going to miss that because right now, well, the Bruins are doing pretty well. But other than that, right now, a lot of our teams need some rebuilding. Um, I just think that Bill made a significant impact. He flipped the script with Brady the season, his first season there um, when he was using Bledsoe. They went 5-11. and 11. The second season, they flipped it. They went 11-5 and five with Brady, um, mostly at the helm. So I think that it's going to be a huge loss for New England, not just because of his coaching ability, but all of his community work that he did. We got Mrs. Hacker here, Heidi Green, a.k.a. my wife, here with us on 1010XL on Hacker After Dark as we begin to wrap up. Now, Bill Belichick, he's not using the word retirement. He's not stepping away. In fact, there are rumors potentially in Atlanta that he is going to coach another football team potentially in the next couple of weeks, maybe even the next couple of days. What will your reaction be, much like Tom Brady, I guess, with Tampa, if you see Bill Belichick on the sideline of a team not named the New England Patriots? So I'm torn on this one because I feel like Bill is a good coach. However, the record doesn't state that for itself in New England because without Brady, he's had a record – He's had a record of 47 wins and 67 losses. He has way more losses than he does wins. So The fact that you looked that up is amazing. Yes, gentlemen, she is taken. Don't even try it. So I hope that he can go to another team and be a great coach and help lead them to victories and success and maybe a Super Bowl. I don't know if I want to give up a Super Bowl away from the Patriots. I'm still a Patriots fan no matter who the coach is. Um, but – I don't know. I don't want him to stay in the AFC. I can tell you that. I don't want to play against him. Uh, if he goes to Atlanta, that would not be a problem. So Bill Belichick is out quickly. we got about two minutes to go. Was it Belichick or was it Brady? So I just mentioned that stat. Um, I think it was a combination of both. So if you look back at Bill's coaching history, he's a very defensive coach. Brady, obviously offensive. I think Brady knows how to motivate and inspire people, and he's one of the greatest businessmen of all time. We know he's the greatest football player of all time, the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, he took pay downgrades 
pay cuts to make sure he had the right people surrounding him. And that speaks a lot to leadership. But you have to also look at Bill because Bill let Tom make those decisions and let Tom figure out who it was he needed and how to inspire them and motivate them to get them to be the best part of a winning team. As we wrap up, I know you're upset about Bill Belichick. We appreciate you joining us tonight. Again, H Squared, Heidi Green, my lovely wife here with us on Hacker After Dark. Your son's taken off on social media. People love Little Hack. What are your thoughts on, on the videos that he makes on a nightly basis? So Little Hack has a very different relationship with Big Hack compared to Mommy. <laughs> So things that he says in those videos, I do not approve of, and I would be taking his Kindle away. Um, but I guess it's for all of your entertainment that he does those. Um, but he is uh, quite the little star. And if you haven't seen Forrest Talks Trash yet on YouTube, you might want to check that out because that's his new podcast. He's debuting it this year. Uh, it's his 2024 goal to have a podcast about garbage yeah he loves garbage there's no question about that Heidi appreciate you sweetie all right thank you back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville we are glad you are with us the Jaguar season is over amazingly enough six weeks after holding the number one seed in the AFC for a matter of hours the Jaguars go on to lose five of the next six games they miss the NFL playoffs Lockers are cleaned out, and the offseason is here. It is astonishing the way it went down. We're trying to pick up the pieces this week. With that, let me get my buddy Jared Bailey of the USA Today on. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jared, how we doing? I'm doing well. Uh, apparently better than the folks in, in Jacksonville, but I, I am doing well. Jared, let me ask you. This is the first question I'm asking everybody this week. What happened? Eight and three to to missing the playoffs. I mean, how can you explain something like that? Uh, it's a multitude of things. Um, I'll address the Trevor Lawrence stuff first, I suppose. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, want to find, it's easy to find somebody, one singular person, point the finger at that one person and blame them. But in reality, that's, that's not the case. Um, you look at Trevor, and the final four weeks of the year compared to the first 13. I mean, it's night and day. Um, he threw seven interceptions in the final four games. He had 14 all year. And I think the, the one thing that's easy to pinpoint is he was playing hurt. He was playing hurt a lot. He had the bum ankle. He had the shoulder injury. And I think he might have tried to come back a little bit too soon and play through all that because he, you know, he wanted to get this team to the playoffs. But um, it, it ended up being too much. And you look at his production um, before the Cincinnati game compared to after it that tells the entire story with the injury to the ankle with the AC joint injury. I think it all just became too much. And combined with the fact that Christian Kirk was gone, Zay Jones dealt with injuries. Calvin Ridley was very just up and down all season long. Like there was a lot of calculating in terms of expectations for the roster and the receivers that didn't pan out. And Trevor had to carry more of the load than uh, than we really thought. The offensive line wasn't as good. Travis Etienne couldn't really get a consistent uh, attack going in the run game all year. So uh, Lawrence shouldered a lot more responsibility offensively than the Jaguars initially realized. And the other thing is the defense. Like Their bread and butter coming into the final week of the season was, okay, the secondary isn't very good. 
but they can at least stop the run. And then the Titans just pounded the rock down their throats. And I think that this is more of a look at the organizational failures than it is for, 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 for Trevor Lawrence. You know, you look at their defense, they have a handful of really solid to really good players. And then after that, it's, you know, things should probably get reassessed all over the field. Like you look in the secondary, Andre Sisko's pr- pretty good. Darius Williams, Darius Williams had a nice year, but trying to get quality starting snaps out of Rayshon Jenkins and, and Shrey Herndon, like these are, these are things that need reassessed. And they were my worries coming into the year with this team was, okay, how much is this defensive secondary going to give them? And they were beaten over the top all season, especially in the Cincinnati and Baltimore games, respectively. Um, Cleveland ate them alive. Um, And you look at that Cleveland game in particular, like, yeah, Trevor Lawrence threw three interceptions. It was the first game after being back from the ankle injury, and the defense gave up a lot of points. They they still only lost by a score. So I think that people trying to put this at the feet of Trevor Lawrence are are frustrated and want one scene one singular person to blame but in reality this is more of an organization organizational failure than it is a failure on trevor lawrence who was just you know he was playing hurt and trying to do too much jared bailey of the usa today yeah i know you've been very uh vocal on social media about that the trevor lawrence did not <clears throat> fail the jaguars your point is the jaguars might have failed trevor lawrence and that goes to two parts number one let's begin with trent balky last year the jaguars go nine and eight we're down 27 nothing wild card weekend. Obviously, the amazing comeback, beating the Chargers, giving the Chiefs a great game in the divisional round. And, Jarrett, looking at it in hindsight, man, it's almost as if Trent Baalke goes, yep, we're good, because they did nothing in free agency. They did less than nothing. I mean, Calvin Ridley was a trade deadline acquisition. He wasn't a free agent. Their best free agent they brought in was because Denver decided to cut their kicker after OTAs in May, and the Jaguars picked up Brandon McManus. That is the only free agent, really, of substance that was brought in here the entire offseason. And, and look, they were 9-8 and eight last year. They finished 9-8 and eight this year because they did not upgrade the roster. To me, that looks really damning right now by Trent Baalke. Yeah, and I think that it, there's a little bit of uh, complacency on the part of the front office where – you know, when you go from being a team that is consistently one of the laughing stocks of the league, consistently drafting the top five, and when you turn it around and get to the playoffs and get a playoff win, I think that there's a lot of, you know, internal patting themselves on the back. And, you know, for the time being, at least whether they want to admit it or not, they might have just been complacent being good enough to not quite be good enough, if that makes sense, where, hey, if we get to the playoffs, that's better than what we have been doing. Um, but there should have been more action to try to be able to take that next step. Um, and I think that myself included, a lot of people looked at the Calvin Ridley trade and, you know, remembered that he would be, uh, a part of this offense this year and said, Oh my goodness, you know, if they can get nine wins with, you know, the, the, the core that they had adding Calvin Ridley, I mean, that offensively, that takes you to a whole new step by itself. But I mean, like I said, defensively, man, like you look at their starters on that side of the ball, like, like I pointed out, Josh Allen has been terrific and might get uh, an all-pro nod. Darius Williams uh, has been really good, and Andre Sisco is a nice safety. But, like, Devin Lloyd as your starting off-ball linebacker, that's not great. Uh, Foye Lokun has been nice, um, but they don't really have a ton of depth on that side of the ball. And then on the defensive line, they don't really have too many guys that scare you. Um, and then offensive line-wise, it was uh, an issue as well all year. So, I think that there was a level of complacency and a level of, you know, just, hey, you know, 
we're better than what we were and that deserves some uh, some respect and you know, some celebrating and i think that they kind of got uh caught up in you know their own accomplishments from last year and didn't didn't look forward enough and uh were too busy living in the moment of getting a playoff win and, in the 2020 season yeah and look and you mentioned devin lloyd jared again jared bailey <clears throat> here with us from the usa today it's a good point they drafted devin lloyd last year in the first round all right you know he's got some nice moments i don't know if he's a first rounder but whatever but then they draft chad muma in the third round and this is not against right. chad muma I like Chad. I've talked to Chad many times in the locker room. I'm a fan of his. This is against what Trent Baalke did. That is a waste of a third-round pick. Chad Muma, you would not even know he was on the field uh, yesterday unless you watch kickoff coverage. Why take two linebackers in the first three rounds? In fact, you look at the last two years of third-round picks. Luke Fortner, who was really bad this year, Chad Muma, and Tank Bigsby. And you combine Bigsby with Brenton Strange in the second round, they got basically nothing from their second and third round picks in this year's draft. I mean, again, that to me is bad business by Trent Baalke. Yeah, like just the way that they've gone about the past few drafts, like obviously the Trayvon Walker pick taking him for Aiden Hutchinson seemed weird at the time. Now, Trayvon Walker got a lot better this year, and I think it's, um, you know, more fans can stomach that with the fact that he took a step forward. But, yeah, they've had a bunch of questionable picks. Um, now, a few of them have ended up playing bigger roles than we expect. You know, they took Parker Washington, the receiver out of Penn State, late in the draft this past year, and he ended up getting a lot of meaningful snaps because of all the injuries at receiver. Um, but even then, man, like the, there's no – it doesn't seem like there is a proof of concept with, with Balky and when it comes to how they draft because, like you pointed out, like I, if you're not a Jaguars fan or pay attention to the Jaguars, you might not have even known that Chad Muma was on the team. Like it, it is a weird, I would love to know the thought process behind the past couple of drafts with the Jaguars and Trent Baalke, because the way that they've gone about team building and the lack of assets that they spent in free agency coming into this year is uh, it, it's head scratching to put it very mildly. You know, and you look at some of the other questions about this roster, and I'll go back to yesterday, Andrew Wingard in the postgame locker room, and I'll give Dewey credit. I mean, he's never one to mince words. He tells you what's on his mind, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but essentially he said something along the lines of, we did not play a lot of assignment football down the stretch. And he was obviously referring to the defense, and to me that's, boy, I mean, if you got guys doing their own thing out there, that's not very good. Yeah, I mean – Unless you are, you know, an all pro caliber guy or a defense that's full of just really talented guys who kind of have that um, that ability and that trust to be able to kind of freelance and just go based off of feeling and what they see. That's one thing. Um, But when you are a defense, as I've touched on, that um, lacks consistency, lacks a ton of star power and the guys that they do have that are amongst the best on their team are still this is still a really young unit, man, especially on defense. They don't they don't have the guys that warrant that type of freelancing and that type of just, okay, we'll just see what happens, you know? Um, so they have a lot of, a lot of questions to answer this off season, especially on the defensive side of the ball and, you know, how they attack 
in terms of, okay, who's going to be running the defense next year? Who is going to be the personnel on defense next year? Because they have a lot of upgrading to do both in terms of coaching, I think in the front office as well, and then just the personnel itself. It has to get better, and there has to be a more thoughtful process that goes into establishing them and building them as a team because the past couple years there really hasn't been. And the fact that Houston not only caught him but blazed right by him in a calendar year, and now you got to deal with C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson and Tank Dell and Nico Collins for the foreseeable future. Good grief. The Jaguars got a, a lot of looking in the mirror to do. Jarrett, what's your thought on Doug Peterson, man? I mean, obviously, uh, I don't think he's on the hot seat by any stretch of the imagination, nor should he be. But I do think people will begin to question a little bit the play-calling situation by giving some of those reins to Press Taylor this year. You lose five out of six to miss the playoffs. I think everything comes into question. How big will this offseason and will next year be for Doug Peterson? I'm not holding my breath um, that Doug Peterson will, you know, push some blame to Press Taylor. Um, I, I think that in terms of what he needs to do, um, they need to get better talented receiver obviously and i think that if you uh, this goes back to you know the uh, spending money in free agency like there's going to be a lot of really good receivers available in free agency if you want to make a big splash go get a t higgins go get somebody like that who can be a legit number one or be a 1a 1b get some reliable go-to pass catchers outside of calvin ridley who this season really wasn't that predominant number one that they thought he would be um so the play calling was an issue um and if anything, I think Doug just takes some of those reins away from Press Taylor. Um, but I, I highly doubt we see any sort of public acknowledgement of any shortcomings on Press Taylor's part from Doug Peterson. Um, but I think getting more reliable pass catchers on offense and getting a, a more reliable offensive line in front of Trevor Lawrence so he's not running around for his life and spraining his ankle and hurting his AC joint um, – I think those got to be priorities number one and two, however, or you want to go in them for the Jaguars offense this year um, going into the offseason, just getting people who can get open, you know, reliable elite pass catchers and giving Trevor Lawrence enough time where he doesn't have to run around and he feels comfortable in the pocket knowing that he can stand there and make plays. So once you get those pieces, you know, I think the play calling situation will more or less take care of itself. Final moments with Jared Bailey of the USA Today. Jared, we'll hopefully have you on between the Super Bowl and free agency to really take a deep dive into what the Jaguars either have done to that point or will do in early March. But a quick thought, uh, Calvin Ridley is unrestricted. Josh Allen is unrestricted. I, I don't think there's a chance they don't put the tag on Josh Allen. you got to keep him here. Uh, if that is what we're going on, then what do you do about Calvin Ridley? That is the one thing that I'm paying attention to a lot is um, one way or the other, Josh Allen will be back. I would be very surprised if they let him walk. So I think that that's as close to a sure thing as you can get in Jacksonville is that Josh Allen will be back. In terms of Ridley, though, I mean, we talked about it a little bit already. Like his production didn't come close to matching what they thought it would be. You know, there was some flashes, um, but all in all, like this was, you know, for lack of a better term, a little bit of a disappointing year. Um, for Calvin Ridley, he only had 76 catches, um, which, you know, for a guy that they expected to be the number one for Trevor Lawrence, that's not you know, exactly a high number. So I would be intrigued. Um, I think it just depends on the money situation. And after this season, I don't think that he's going to be garnering high end free agent money. So if the money works out, then maybe. But they're, um, remember, they're already paying a lot of money to Christian Kirk. So it, there, there's a lot of 
there would have to be a lot of you know restructuring things, moving money around um, to even make you know a lower end deal work. Um, I'd have to look at their their cap situation, their financials to really get a, a thumbprint on it. But if the money's right and he would come back and they can get, like I said, somebody like a T Higgins or a legit number one in free agency, then all of a sudden you're looking at okay a number one guy, then Calvin Ridley, and then Christian Kirk in a slot, then you're looking at a situation where it's like, okay, this is much better than what it was last year. Um, and I think that that would be the best case scenario for the Jaguars is if they can get Calvin Ridley on a cheaper deal um, to you know, balance him out with somebody who can be that, that, that X-factor receiver. And if they can do that, then that's cool. Um, but yeah, in terms of Josh Allen, I think – that's as close to a sure thing as he'll be back one way or the other. If they tag him, which is pretty likely, then at least he'll be back. I think of I think priority number one for the Jaguars should be getting a long-term deal with Josh Allen because, like I said, he played like an all-pro this year, and he's continued to get better. He's, he's the anchor of that defense. So getting that deal done will be a big priority, and if they can bring back Calvin Ridley on a relatively cheaper deal, then that's great. Hey, Jared, final question, man. Again, we'll do more free agency stuff with you in a month, month and a half's time prior to the beginning of March. Uh, but what about Super Wild Card Weekend? What game or games intrigue you the most coming up? I mean, all of them ha- seem to have some sort of storyline going into them where, you know, you got Matthew Stafford going uh, back to uh, Detroit to play the Lions. Um, the uh, the Browns facing Houston, obviously, the, the history there being, you know, the the Deshaun Watson trade, but Joe Flacco uh, having the career resurgence that he's had um, Tyreek Hill going back to Arrowhead to, uh, to face the chiefs. So there's no shortage of, uh, of storylines this week. Um, and I think that the game that intrigues me the most is that Rams lions game, because there you'd be hard pressed to find a hotter team in football right now, maybe the bills. Um, but the hottest team in the NFC is the Rams. And, not a lot of people expected them to be in this position coming into the year because they were relying on a lot of, you know, uh, young players, a lot of late round rookies, especially on the defensive side of the football. And they completely exceeded expectations. They got hot over the last month and a half and won their way into a wild card spot. And now you're facing a, a Detroit team that one might be without Sam Laporta, which is a ginormous factor if he does not play. And again, the history with, with Matthew Stafford and the lions, like, I saw somebody ask on, uh, on on Twitter, you know, talking about, hey, you know, do we think that Matthew Stafford would get a warm reception? And I think it'll be similar to when Tom Brady came back to New England. Like they'll cheer him when he comes out uh, for warmups and stuff. But once the kickoff starts, it's, you know, it's business. So that is the game that I will be paying attention to for both the emotional storyline of it and, uh, you know, just the, the X's and O's of it, too, because I think that. You know, the Lions defense is obviously much better than what it was a year ago. And offensively, when they're on, they can put up points with the best of them. So um, if Laporta plays, I like Detroit's odds a lot more. But if Sam Laporta does not play, then I think we could see um, a situation where the uh, the number six beats the number three and the Rams advance. It should be a terrific weekend. And we here in Jacksonville will have plenty of time to watch it, obviously, because the Jaguar season is already over. Jared Bailey of the USA Today. Jared, I know you're busy, man. Appreciate the time. Thank you as always. And we'll do it again soon. Hey, absolutely, man. Not a problem. And thank you to Jared Bailey of the USA Today for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. We're talking a lot of Jacksonville Jaguars, but certainly. The big story uh, coming up in the last 24 hours, a little over 24 hours, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, good grief. 
the amount of change in the coaching world in the game of football, both college and the National Football League. My big takeaway of the evening, well, it starts right there, right? We will never see a coach like Bill Belichick again. I don't think in today's day and age in the NFL, you're never going to see a guy in one place win six Super Bowls. I don't believe that'll ever happen again. It never happened prior. Uh, 24 years on the job in New England, uh, 250, 60 plus wins there in New England. Absolutely insane. You combine that with Nick Saban stepping aside last night, seven national championships in the world of college football, including six with the Alabama Crimson Tide. You consider Pete Carroll, who's one of only three men ever to win both a national championship and a Super Bowl as a head coach, and it has been an unprecedented 36-hour period in the world of sports. Absolutely insane. Well, that'll just about do it. It has been a very, very busy, as you can imagine, Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We certainly appreciate you guys for hanging out with us this evening. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, thank you to Jared Bailey of the USA Today talking Jacksonville Jaguars and where we go from here, right? Biggest collapse in franchise history. We're almost a week removed from that game and picking up the pieces, figuring out what happened. The Jaguars since that game, of course, have fired 10 assistant coaches, including defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. What is the game plan moving forward? We tried to lay a blueprint for you with that tonight with Jared Bailey. Also, Chad Forbes, kind of the same thing. My buddy at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. I love having Chad on because he doesn't sugarcoat a whole lot. He's going to tell you what he thinks, and he was brutally honest about the Jacksonville Jaguars and their failures over the last six weeks of the year, things that absolutely have to be addressed this offseason. So we thank Chad for taking time out for us this evening. Thank you to my wife, H-squared. Heidi Green joined us here on Hacker After Dark, diehard New England sports fan, and I can tell you she took it pretty rough this morning finding out Bill Belichick is no longer the coach of the New England Patriots. So appreciate Heidi joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. And then, of course, Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You get him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. We will be back tomorrow night on a Friday, and we'll close out the week beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Thursday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night to close out the week on a Friday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.